Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Good morning, everybody. And I also greet you, Dot. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're not uh, familiar, if you're not um, part of PCC, Dot Taves, Dot and Rod ministered here for almost 20 years. Rod was on the pastoral staff, but there really is no Rod without Dot. And um, our fellowship center is named the Taves Fellowship Center in honor of the ministry of these two. So uh, we also have Alice Clark here. Alice, great to see you. Fantastic. Alice is 95 years young and also visiting. Hey, grab your message notes, please, and open your Bibles. We're going to be throughout the Gospels, so I invite you to follow along with me, but we'll start in John, I'm sorry, we'll start in Luke chapter 8 today. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so grateful for a community of generations that gather around your word. I'm so grateful for what will happen in the mission of PCC today all over the city. Thankful for this community and for this time. This is precious. The word is open. We have sung your praise. Your presence is here through your Holy Spirit. We're in community. It is ripe for you to speak. Our hearts are humble. And we invite you, wherever we are, speak and draw us closer. Raise up conviction. Find in us a yes, Lord, heart. Just like Mary had. Pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. So we are dropping my daughter Hannah off. She's our oldest, and uh, this was years ago. She's 27 now, but we are dropping her off to college down at Azusa Pacific University. And we are driving back on I-5, just got over the grapevine, when uh, all over I-5 were tumbleweeds. And my wife uh, saw these tumbleweeds, said, pull over, pull over. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me. No, pull over. And I didn't know why she, I didn't know if she had to go to the bathroom. I didn't know what was going on. And so I pull over, and she goes, grab that tumbleweed. I'm like, grab the tumbleweed. And so I, you know, I got out, grabbed the tumbleweed. She goes, this will be perfect in our front room. I'm like, what? She goes, yes. She goes, I've been thinking about this, and this will be perfect for decor in our front room. Uh, so what little did I know, and for studying this, I do a lot of study in the original languages and in commentators, but I was on Etsy to see what tumbleweeds cost and what they go for. Tumbleweeds go for forty to seven hundred dollars to be used in decor. Look what they can do with the next slide, Eric. Look what they can do with tumbleweeds. That's not us, but that's what they could do. We're, you know, I was thinking about it this week, and that tumbleweed has sat in our living room for three, well, five, ten, five years, and I just think, gosh, people comment on it all the time, and I'm thinking, only Anne, only Anne can see decor out of a tumbleweed. Only Anne can see beauty out of what others try to avoid. And then I just thought, wow, she saw that in me. (laughs) True story. When we first dated, I was wearing these things called parachute pants. I had a mullet. It was was terrible. But Anne saw through that and um, saw something of beauty in me. 
Now, I don't know if you know the origins of tumbleweeds, but tumbleweeds begin as Russian thistle bushes, which many actually consider beautiful with reddish purple stems and uh, tender leaves, actually, even delicate flowers. Um, and, and then the, the wind comes and uproots them, and what was once vibrant is now tossed, becomes thorny, and something people avoid. Almost dangerous. It can be dangerous, unless you have an Etsy account and a husband named Gary who pulls over <laughs> for you. We're in this series called Face to Face, and I want you to hold that tumbleweed thought, where we're looking at Jesus coming face to face with people in his culture, in his community in the first century, in the Roman Empire, in the religious Jewish culture that he lived in. And we're looking at people that Jesus uh, came face to face with that the culture called tumbleweeds. Jesus went to people others avoid. Jesus embraced people others thought are dangerous. And uh, last week we talked about the Good Samaritan. This week we're looking at uh, who has become a personal hero of mine since we were in Magdala just a couple months ago. I don't think there's a greater tumbleweed in Jesus' day than Mary Magdalene. And she's one of six Marys mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament who followed Jesus. She's actually one of the best known but least understood Mary or woman in the scripture. As she's mentioned in all four Gospels, she has the honor of being the first eyewitness and ambassador for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Commentators have called Mary an apostle to the apostles. Uh, they've called her the first Christian because she is the first one to recognize the risen Jesus. They've called her the first missionary. She's an amazing woman who had a vivid encounter with Jesus, which translated into a passionate following of Jesus. Friends, Mary's kind of a big deal. And I can't wait for us to walk with her on that pursuit of her following Christ. I'm excited for you to meet her. Uh, here's our big idea today. Salvation is free. You can see it on page one. But following Jesus comes at a cost. I'm going to say that again. And I want you to mull that over. Salvation is free. It is a gift for anyone, everyone. Following Jesus comes at a cost. Uh, around here, our mission is to empower the generations. We have four generations that call PCC home. Empower the generations to, and here's the key word, passionately follow Christ. One home at a time. Now, I know there's people all over the map here in your pursuit of Christ, and you're all welcome. Uh, but can I ask you a question? Does your following Christ, can it be described as a passionate following of Jesus Christ? And what would that look like? I agree with you, by the way. I love how you follow Christ. What would that look like for you? Does the passion wane? Do you get, do you get to like turn off the passion at 60 or 70? I'm going to tell you right now, my sister, Alice Clark, 95, she is passionately following Christ. Dallas Willard in his book, uh, The Spirit of the Disciplines, says this. Lean in, okay? Listen to this. The world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, business leaders. He wrote this almost 30 years ago. They've done the best they could, no doubt. Listen to what Willard says. But this is an age for spiritual heroes. 
a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and in power. The greatest danger of the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. It is good. And I really believe that what we're talking about here is so important. In our cultural times, tepid following of Jesus just won't make a difference in the culture. And you won't become the person God had in mind when he created you in the first place if you're following Christ as convenient. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is for you do not need to clean up to come to Jesus. Jesus will look at you just as you are and receive you and love you just as you are. But the process, once you come to Christ, of becoming like Christ, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to following Christ. And somehow, and I don't know where it is on the, the spectrum, Jesus gives us some responsibility in that. It's all by grace, but we have some responsibility in that. Uh, I'm going to go off notes. 1 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, 15.10. This is my proof text for what I just said. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says this. By the, it's not on the screen because it just came to mind. It was a Holy Spirit PowerPoint in my head. <laughs> by the grace of God, I am who I am. How many would give an amen to that? Then Paul says, but God's grace to me was not without effect. What? Paul says, no, I worked harder than most. Actually, he says, I worked harder than all. See how Paul's response to grace was effort? Then he says, but it wasn't me, it was the grace of God. Paul had this interplay throughout his whole life. God's grace, my effort. God's grace, my effort. God's grace, my effort. You can't preach grace too much because the proper response to grace is running to Christ, not running to sin. So Mary, we're going to see, was met with grace and followed Christ further, more intimately, almost. I, I haven't, I feel scared saying this, but call me out, okay? Be Bereans and call me out on this. Uh, I think more than any other character in the Gospels. She followed further and more intimately. Now I'm going to build that out in the next 21 minutes. So here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. Peter read it. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, those are the disciples, and also some women. Jesus had a, a group of women who financially and uh, otherwise supported the mission. Now, that's why we take an offering. We really believe we give back our first fruits to God because we want to do what these women did. We want to support the mission of Jesus. They'd been cured of spirits and diseases. And order matters here. So in these gospels, when these women are mentioned, Mary's always mentioned first. She was a leader of this group. Mary called Magdalene, from whom, circle this word, seven demons had come out. That's all we know about her. She was once a demonized woman. From Magdala. Let's build that out. What do we know about that? Uh, she's identified from her hometown, Magdala. It's an affluent fishing village in the northern region of the Galilee. It, it was, um, if I can put it this way, the Atherton of the Galilee. Uh, the Galilee was an impoverished area. Magdala was an affluent area. 
Now that word seven, we don't know anything else about her past except that she had seven demons in her. Uh, in biblical language, I'm, I'm getting a little technical here, but seven was an idiomatic expression which meant mega. Mega. It, it, Mary was mega possessed. Okay, that's, that's what the author Luke wants us to know. Just not a little bit, a lot of bit. The only other place in the Bible that depicts somebody mega possessed by demons, there's only one other place where that word's used. Uh, if you're taking notes, Mark chapter 5. We're not going to go there, but there was, a, there was a little boy, not a little boy, a young man who was mega possessed in a town called Kersi, K-U-R-S-I. And here's what it says about him. Mark gives some more descriptions. And from those descriptions, where the only other time that word is used, I'm going to apply him to Mary. And, and you can know what Mary was like, her tumbleweedness, if you will, before she met Christ. What we know about that man in his mega possession the community pushed him out of the city. He lives in a graveyard. He was naked. He wouldn't keep clothes on him. He cried out and screamed. He cut himself. He couldn't be restrained. Friends, that was Mary. The same descriptions used of her without going into detail. She was that person that didn't fit into society. She was that person that everyone talked about and kept away from. She was that unsafe person. She was the neighborhood crazy person. Does your neighborhood have a crazy, every neighborhood does. Can you identify the crazy person in your neighborhood? If you can't, I've got news for you this morning. You're it. <laughs> we had them growing up, right? It was like, it's like this guy in the movie Up. I don't know if you saw this movie. Can we go to the next slide? There we go. Carl? Remember, he lived in a dilapidated house. He was a curmudgeon. No one wanted to be around him, and everyone avoided his house. That was Mary, okay? That was Mary. And you got to ask the question, while others saw a crazy woman, what did Jesus see? When, when he came face to face with her, he saw the first Christian because she was the first eyewitness to the resurrection. He saw his first missionary. He saw his most devoted follower, the moment Jesus' compassionate eyes came grace to face with this wild-eyed, dehumanized woman of Magdala, he saw in her what others didn't, a woman who would be a blessing to him and to others. He saw the person he would rest the whole validity of his resurrection on. I'm going somewhere with this, church. Are you with me? Do you understand what Jesus sees when he looks at you? Do you understand when grace comes to your face that Jesus doesn't see your tumbleweedness? Jesus sees something different. Jesus sees a blessing. Jesus sees someone he wants to use greatly. Jesus sees a fully humanized version of yourself that gives glory to God and is a blessing to others. But then he turns to you and me and says, I'm going to give you some responsibility in becoming that. And this is so cool. He says, let's do this together. Let's do this together. I want you to see, as Mary started exerting effort, her following came at a cost. Remember, salvation's free. Following comes at a cost. And we all do a cost-benefit analysis. And at some point in our following of Jesus, we either push through the pain, the inconvenience, 
and we'll talk about that in the rest of our time. Or we say, you know what? It's not worth it, and we back off. My prayer is that we don't back off because we exist to empower generations to passionately follow Jesus one home at a time. Let's look at her journey. So we're going to take you all the way now to the end of Jesus' life. Jesus has been tried. He's being executed. And as we most of us know, most of us uh, understand, people are running away in fear, but not Mary. She followed him when he was under trial in Pilate's halls. And as the religious leaders are clamoring for the blood of him, She listened as Pontius Pilate pronounces a death sentence of crucifixion, although he had found no fault in Jesus. She witnessed and wept as Jesus took his crossbar and left the hall to the jeers of the crowds being spat upon and ill-treated, a crowd thirsting for his blood. She saw him led out to Calvary's fatal mount and to be nailed to a tree. If we endeavor to be passionate followers of Christ, I'm going to tell you that journey is going to take us to some places. And I want us to see where it took Mary. Here's the first place. It's going to take us to a cross. It's going to take us to the cross. John 19, 25. It says, near the cross of Jesus. Now, as you know, most of his disciples followed with the exception of one. The people that followed Jesus all the way to his death Here they are. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and who? Mary Magdalene. And John, the apostle, was there too. But they were near the cross. Do you see that? John's account must have been the beginning of the crucifixion. They are near the cross, almost as if to support Jesus to the end, to let him know we're here. Now, Matthew comes in and and talks about a later point in the crucifixion because look at Matthew's account. What must have happened? More crowds came and these women get pushed out and pushed back because look what Matthew says. 27, verse 55 to 56. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were, who church? It was a gruesome scene. Now, listen to this. They couldn't bear to watch, but they couldn't bear to leave either. Mary listened with a broken heart to his bitter cries. She watched through those dread hours until the last Roman soldier thrust a spear into his side and declared him dead. And with that death, are you with me? Every sense of intellect and logic that Mary had was betrayed. This made no earthly sense. I'm going to tell you there are times in your life, and and again, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm preaching to the great ones of the faith. But there are times in your life when following Jesus makes no earthly sense. Blaise Pascal speaks into this. He wrote a quote, well, he wrote a whole book, but his quote in the book says, Reason's last step is the recognition, this is on page three of your notes, that there are an infinite number of things beyond it. See, reason has its limits, my friends. 
Faith requires following Jesus even when following doesn't make sense. In the book of Hebrews, it says without faith, we can't please God. Faith is God's love language. We have people in our church that are living this. We, uh, in the 11 o'clock service right there is a young man in his 30s, young 30s, and his name is Rafael Avendano, and he uh, heads up something called the Siena Center. Uh, that ministry uh, exists behind Target in the east side of our city. It's an amazing experience. What the Siena Center and the St. Francis Center have done is buy up a whole city block for the poor in our city and trying to create a sense of shalom in our city. They built community parks, they built uh, low-income housing, and Roth heads up a ministry that uh, employs kids that live in the Siena Center buildings that spreads the love of Jesus and gives kids hope. And I'm gonna tell you, it is messy. It is messy. There is a lot more despair on the streets on the eastern part of our city than there is hope. But Roth is there in the mess. Why? Because he's following Jesus. And Jesus is in the mess. We have parents really getting involved in foster care. And to a parent, it is a mess to care for these kids and love these kids and, and then to hope they go back but to get attached and you feel betrayed giving them back because you love them but the whole point was to give them back. And you talk to these great parents parents who are doing this, I'm telling you, it's a mess. Why are they doing it? Because Jesus led them there. Two years ago, we launched our first site downtown, and we created a roadmap as we were walking it with these microsites throughout our city. It has been a mess. But I'm going to tell you, last Sunday, I was in that gathering. It was the largest gathering to date down there and what we've been able to do through PCC Hudson is reach people we could never reach in this building it has been nothing short of glorious in its messiness why did people why did you know last week there was 150-ish people down there why did 150 people leave this to go down there because Jesus led them there in your following of Jesus, at some point you're going to come to a cross where it just doesn't make sense and it's messy. Have you faced that? I implore you to learn from Mary, don't turn back. Don't turn back. Your following is not finished. Jesus has more for you. Because her following didn't finish. This is, stick with me, bottom of page two. She followed through the cross to the grave. Even a dead body on a cross didn't turn Mary away. And thank God, because if she stopped following at this point, it was her continual following that the disciples learned because of her where the body was kept. If Mary wouldn't have continued to follow, the disciples wouldn't have known which grave Jesus was put in. Look at this, Matthew 27, verse 59. Joseph, that would be Joseph of Arimathea, took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, verse 60, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. 
he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 27, verse 61. You with me? You with me? Okay. Look at who's here. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite of the tomb. Isn't that beautiful? After all Jesus had done for her, all the time they spent together, can you imagine how it must have broken her heart to see this lifeless body taken down, mangled, and be mummified before the Sabbath and laid in a tomb? She financially supported him. She cared for him. And I can just imagine going, this is, this is the end? This is where it ends? But she couldn't stop at the cross. She had to go through. I'm trying to build a case for the intimacy and love she had in her following. I've got to see where they put him. I've got to make sure you care for him, even though he's dead. She's there. And with the stone rolled in front of the grave, so are her dreams. So is her life ambition. So is everything she left Magdala to give her life for. Have you followed Jesus to a grave? This is where it will take you, my friends. It might be the death of a reputation because you identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. It might be the death of a relationship because people identify you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Happens all the time in other places of the world. It's beginning to happen more and more here. It might be the death of a promotion. It might be the death of friendships. It might be the death of a standard of living that you could have. But because you follow Christ, you cap that and give away in a generous way. I'm walking with some 20-somethings who are passing up and have the death right now, the dream of dating because they have standards of who they want to date as far as a Christ-centered man, a Christ-centered woman. And so they're giving up, the, they're, they're dying to that because they aren't coming across Christ-centered people. And rather than compromise, they're dying to that. And with each year, a dream of marriage for them is dying little by little. Is there a grave where you want to turn away from and say, Jesus, I didn't know following meant going this far? I mean, I know you said I need to pick up my cross and follow you, but I didn't know you meant it. Is there a place Jesus is calling you to die to, to follow him? Mary didn't stop at the cross. Friends, Mary didn't stop at the grave. She followed through to the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 14. So here I'll bring us into the story. It's Sabbath, and for the Jews, you couldn't touch a dead body on the Sabbath. So she sees where they lay him. She goes home. The Bible says she prepares the burial cloth and everything. She celebrates Sabbath and Passover. And then in John 20, she is back at that spot before dawn 
waiting for the sunrise when religiously she could uh, go in and properly embalm and tomb, uh, mummify the body. And here's what happens. Verse 14. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him. Now you could say, oh, wow, it's really cool. She is really seeking Jesus. I said this on Easter Sunday. I'm going to say it again. Realize this. If it was left up to her seeking, she would have never found Jesus because she was looking for the wrong Jesus. She was looking for a dead Jesus. He was alive. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, can you imagine? I mean, we built out the intimacy and healthy intimacy in this relationship. I, I just can't wait to get to heaven and get the heavenly DVR and play this scene because I want to hear the inflection of his voice. Mary, teacher, she cried out, Rabboni. Jesus said, this is so good, everybody. Do not hold on to me. Circle, hold on. Circle, hold on. Uh, there's a type of holding in the scripture. And what he's saying is literally, the literal translation is, don't hold me so tightly. Mary, I can't breathe. Ouch. And don't you know, she doesn't want to let go. She realizes it's him. It's the resurrection. And she just clings to him. And she's not going to let go as if she's saying, I lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. And let everyone look at me. This is the posture of following. She followed him through the cross. She followed him through the grave. And this is her reward. To see a resurrected Jesus, not only to see a resurrected Jesus, but to realize you are not a tumbleweed. You are somebody I want to use. And he says to her, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went with the news. I've seen the Lord. And with that, we see Jesus deliberately choosing a woman, not a man, in a patriarchal society. Choosing a formal tumbleweed, an outcast who'd been possessed by mega demons, not a pillar in the community. How much clearer could Jesus be saying, salvation is free. And then when you follow me, you qualify to be used by me in otherworldly ways. I think our application of this point, following him through the resurrection, is this. Are you open to letting Jesus use you in your following? To be a proclaimer of the good news through your life and through your words. We're going to help you with this in the fall. But it doesn't have to be big. Just, just this week, I was in Safeway. It was 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night, and that's a terrible time to be in Safeway because everyone's in Safeway. And I had to get one thing, and I'm looking at the lines. They're all packed, so I go, oh, look, the self-checkout line's short. But then I realize as I'm getting closer, they're down the aisle. And there's a woman coming this way, and I'm coming this way. We eye each other, and it's on. We're going to see who's going to get in the line the first. And uh, I did. I won. And, um, and then the Holy Spirit <laughs> convicted me, and I'm like, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. And she goes, no, 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 because she had 15, maybe 16 items. But um, I, she goes, you only have one item. I, I said, this. I go, no. 
Um, actually, I'm trying to learn patience, so you go, please. Which is true. I'm, I'm trying to learn patience. And uh, she goes, good luck with that. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. I'm, I'm not on duty, okay? I'm just Gary, not Pastor Gary. She doesn't know who I am. I'm one of you in this line. And I said, uh, good luck. I said, um, I'm actually dependent on more than luck. She goes, what are you dependent on? I said, prayer. I'm praying for patience and opportunities come up like this. And then I said and felt the Holy Spirit prompt me. I don't, I don't have a script, everybody, but when you offer yourself to be used, God takes you up on that because he wants to use you. I said, I figured if God can raise a dead man from a grave, if that kind of power is available, it's no big deal to give me some patience. And there's, you know, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm not a hero in this. You do this all the time, okay? She goes, she just stops. She goes, wow, I've never thought about it like that. I'm like, my whole life is dependent on that power. That's it. And I'm just seeing where it's being taken from there, okay? And then by the end of that conversation, her, her, there's only four, her checkout thing is up and she's out doing that. Then mine came up and I finished before her. And, and got out and just tapped her on the shoulder and I said, hey, God bless you. And then walked. Now, she didn't kneel. I didn't go over the microphone and say, everyone in Safeway, do you want to come to G-? No. It's just a small way, but it's amazing to me how many times things like that happen when you make yourself available for God to use. Maybe the application today and you're following through the resurrection is, God, use me. I'm, use me. Bring people across my way who need a word of hope. I'm over time, so we're going to close in prayer, but I hope you see how Jesus used this incredible tumbleweed to become an amazing follower of him, who followed him throughout his life and supported him financially, who followed him to his death and didn't turn away when everyone else did, who went through his death to the grave because she didn't want to ever, it was her last glimpse, I don't want to lose sight, and then came back and followed him through the resurrection. And how God has used her to give someone like me and many others hope 2,000 years later. God, make us a Mary. Let's pray. I'm wondering as we pray where you are in your journey with Jesus. Maybe if you don't identify as a follower of Jesus and you're so welcome here, um, your following is simply uh, raising a white flag and saying, Jesus, I need you. I can't do anything to earn your love. The beginning of following Jesus starts with what we call grace. It's a gift. Jesus offering you a gift, receiving that gift. If you've never responded to the call of Christ to follow him so that you can become the best version of yourself, it's one word, yes. Yes, I believe you're God. Yes, I believe you died for my sin. Yes, I've made a mess of my life. Yes, I open my life for you to step in and take these tumbleweeds and create beauty. There's other of you who are in your journey of following and following has led you to a mess. 
and you're tempted to turn away because it's gotten complicated in your pursuit of Christ. Do you ask God for the courage to pursue him even in the mess beyond reason to hold on in faith? Many in this room, not just our sister Dot, are facing a death. And it's not just the death of a loved one, although I do not want to belittle that. It's the death of a dream. It's the death of so much more. I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to encourage you. Don't turn away. Jesus promised in Psalm 23 to walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. Beyond it, there is life, my friends. Would you lean into Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, I will hold on with all the strength I've got, but I need you. And then, are you at a place where you're willing to follow Jesus to speak life of the resurrection? It could just be a simple phrase, a testimony to Christ. Would you be willing to put your reputation on the line and say, Jesus, if you want to use me, I'm in. Use my life. Use how I live. What I say. Put the aroma of Christ through me to testify to your life. Father, you put on our heart as a mission to empower generations to passionately follow you. I confess for my own life so much my following is about convenience. I'm so sorry. Help us not be hearers of the word, but doers today. We need you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.